welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I am joined by Dom Newton, sports presenter and producer. Welcome to The Divorce Club. Hi. Hi. It's weird hearing my name introduced as Dom Newton because... When I got married, I actually took on my ex-wife's surname as well. So we went double-barreled in an attempt to sound posh. Um, but no, I it's... Love uh, that. It does sound good. It does sound good. Well, it's actually a longer story, and I don't want to start the podcast by going in deep early on. But... Oh, please do. Um, deep is good. When I, met my ex, when I met my ex, she had two children already, and they had her surname. So me being the fool that I was maybe it's the wrong word I took on that surname as well so we'd all feel like one big family we've all got a similar surname and all of that so yeah it complicated things but it's uh yeah it's weird to hear my name Don Newton again after yeah I think the last time I heard it was when I was like 22 maybe so yeah weird it's it's funny because obviously normally um in our patriarchal society it's the woman who would take on the surname so normally yeah. it's women saying oh I'm not used to it hearing my maiden name again or whatever it is um why did it make things more difficult do you think I think it was me being embarrassed really if I'm being totally honest I think that oh god I, why did I do that why again because of what British society I guess tells you you know the woman takes on the surname and and I was obviously brought up in that in that way you know my parents have been married for 30 years and my grandparents married for in fact, my grandparents got a 60th anniversary card from the Queen a couple of weeks ago, which is very nice. So, um, yeah, long-term marriage and the traditional way of getting married, taking on the, the the man's surname, as I've been brought up with it, just like most people in Britain had. But I don't know. I just felt like it was a nice thing to do. You know, the kids were... get the, It was a massive change for the kids as well. And even though I was really young, 22, I still... I look back now and think, oh, that's a weird thing to have done at 22 years old to agree to that. But I, f I feel quite proud of myself for doing that. I feel like 
it was a nice thing to do for the kids, make us all feel like one big family. Um, and yeah, I look back at it now and I'm quite, I'm quite proud of that, really. Yeah, I think that's an amazing thing to do. I, I, it was a, never a conversation I had, weirdly, with my ex before we got married. And he assumed that I was going to take his surname. And I guess I kind of assumed that I was. But yeah. it was funny when we got married, I just suddenly loved my na- my surname so much, Baines, that I didn't want to let go of it. And it became a sort of point of contention. I changed my Tesco club card and that was it. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Um, it seems to be like a thing in the arts, actually, that more and more female artists do keep their surname when they get married. And um, I'd always just assumed that that was a professional thing because, oh, someone's seen me in this film, so I want to keep my name so that they can find me on IMDb or something. But it isn't, it isn't unusual. I, I, I still, when I think about it, I think, oh, why wouldn't a woman take on a man's name? But I guess that is just because it's ingrained in my mentality. Still, even though I've been through the process of adding my ex-wife's name to mine, still in my head, it's like, oh, it's still a bit of a weird thing. Why would a woman keep the, isn't that weird? And that's purely because of the way I was brought up. Like if if I'd been brought up being told that the woman um, gave her name to the man, I'd think nothing of it. And, and those things actually are things that I've thought about a lot more since since I went through, you know, separation is a lot more thinking about what other couples think of and what we as a society deem to be normal. And I guess that's, because obviously divorce is difficult and you go through all of these things like feeling extreme sadness and extreme guilt and extreme loneliness, I guess. And it starts you thinking about other things. And that's why we first spoke is because I was searching out. I wanted to hear other people having the same troubles as me and thinking about the same things as me and wanted to know what other people thought about getting a divorce as a, as a man in particular. Um, and yeah, I think I've done a lot of overthinking since which is fine I mean it's helped me get through it I mean it's two years now and although the overthinking drives you mad at first I feel like it's helped me come out the other end as a better person maybe so so you say overthinking but what does that constitute for you is it like analyzing your relationship or yeah yeah and I must admit a lot of it was that like vanity or just thinking oh my god it's this is so embarrassing and then I, I would be thinking well what does this mean for me you know is anyone else going to look at me again you know I've been married I had stepchildren all of these branches that make things complicated and I would th- the, the first year especially I just couldn't stop thinking about it um because I like I mentioned I got I met my ex when I was 21 married by the time I was 22 Six months after getting married, had a child of my own. So by the time I was 23, I was married with two stepchildren and a child of my own, which at the time I thought was amazing. I thought I knew knew everything about life, as you do when you're in your 20s. But she was my first real relationship. You know, I'd had like dalliances when I was in sixth form and school or whatever, but yeah, she was my first proper relationship. And at the time, thinking that I knew everything. But when I think back on it now, one, I think that's insane to have done that. I think about how I speak to 23-year-olds at work. I genuinely speak to them like they're children. And 
and look at other 23 year olds around. Like when I go to the pub with mates, for instance, I look around me and think, oh my God, the, these are children that are allowed to drink. But by the time I was their age, I was married with three kids to look after. And I think about that an awful lot, an awful lot. And um, yeah, it's just mad. It's just mad. And I think that the mistake I made, and I, and I totally believed in the the romance that the, that Frank Sinatra used to think about, think about, and and I used to love that sort of music. And I think that really did impact the way I thought relationships would turn out. Which is why, when I met this older woman, she was eight years older than me as well. When I met her, I thought this was it: whirlwind romance. It all happened so quickly. You feel like you're so in love and um i went traveling around europe when we first met and we were messaging and you know that all the songs we were sending to each other to listen to were all about i think they were war songs which <laughs> you know like i'll be back you know we'll gather lilacs in the spring all of that sort of thing so it was i felt like that was it you know why wouldn't i marry this woman this is what romance is isn't it this is what love is all about and and it was a rushed thing and anyone that around me that said it was rushed, like my friends and my dad and, and my, you know, my parents, my grandparents, so anyone who said, oh, it's a bit rushed on, don't you think? I'd just ignore because I, my feeling was they don't know what I'm feeling. They've got no idea what I feel like. This feels so right. But that was just my inexperience of life playing a part as well when I think back on it now. I knew nothing that relationships are hard. And, you know, the first year or so, it's, it's amazing. You know, you're still massively in love in, in a relationship and you've not really seen anything go wrong. But then as a relationship goes on, those little things that annoy you about people start to rear their ugly heads. And real love means that those little things kind of get overlooked. You know, there are bits that annoy you about someone or you might have a little row every now and again. And that happens in every marriage, I'm sure. But it's when those things start to cause problems or they start to gain prominence in the relationship that I think is when things start to go downhill, which is why I would advise anybody who is, I'd say, sub 30, who thinks that it's time to get married and stuff, I think twice. But that's just my experience. I don't want to put a damper on anyone who thinks they are wildly in love in their early 20s. Fine, go on, enjoy it, because it is, it is amazing. But, yeah, I do kind of... I don't, re- I don't regret it because, you know, I, I did, it was amazing to feel like that love and to, to bring up kids together and stuff like that. Cause we were together for eight or nine years. It's just that, you know, sometimes these things don't work out. And if, if going through that and then the, the, the pain of the last couple of years of my relationship, if doing all of that was the price I had to pay for becoming a dad, then I'd, I'd do it all over again because being a dad is the, the best thing that ever happened to me. I love it. I would gladly, you know, I mean, this is a touchy subject because my son is, um, I'm not sure I'd be that keen on knowing that I had another relationship or I'd, I'd been meeting other people, but I would gladly never be with anyone else again if it meant that he was happy and 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 all of that jazz well luckily you don't have to make that decision <laughs> yeah, that's, true. that's um, true but that's so interesting that you say you'd advise people under 30 who think they're really in love to think twice because I got married just before I was 30 and it still didn't work out <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I definitely had that like madly in love thing as well and then when that sort of wears off you're like oh okay you're quite 
things aren't great that you do. <laughs> it's so weird. It is It is weird you, because, again, like I mentioned, the overthinking, you start thinking, how did that happen? How can you feel like you're so in love with someone, like you need somebody so badly, like this relationship means everything to you. You would sacrifice anything to be in that relationship. How does it then peter out and become what it does that you're separated? Because I must admit, when we first separated, I did take it really badly. I would be, obviously, because I'd been married young and I'd become so reliant, not real, yeah, reliant on, on the relationship and, and having that and having each other to talk to. At first, I think we both found it very difficult, but I know from my own personal experience, it was really hard to be all of a sudden single again and to have to do everything on my own again. Not that I was a old-fashioned husband that had the washing done for me or anything like that, but just think, I mean, things like that did make me think, you know, when I was putting my own clothes in the washing machine, I did think, oh, this is so depressing. These are just my undies and just my clothes. You know, there's none of the kids' clothes anymore or, and, you know, standing doing the washing up, thinking, God, this is, I use Millhouse's dad on The Simpsons as the earmark of what, everyone thinks divorce looks like, you know, this guy who lives in a flat by himself, which I do, although my son's with me five days a week, so it's, it's a bit different. But I did, actually, that is, that's a big thing that is probably not as good. It's a very negative thing to be thinking about is I always think about Mil, Milhouse's dad and how the Sim, on The Simpsons they portray divorce and that the dad's this lonely guy and he lives in a flat that's a shithole and he's got his clothes everywhere, which I've made a massive conscious effort not to do, actually. I um, Because of The Simpsons? Because of The Simpsons, yeah. Because Amazing. I don't want to be that guy. Isn't it funny, the things and the stereotypes that stay with you? Like, I remember, I don't know, I think it's just in lots of films, um, being like um, older divorced women wearing leopard print and getting drunk in bars and coming on to young men. And weirdly, unlike you, I sort of leaned into that because that was like, well, that's that's what it means to be a divorced woman. So I have to follow the, this trope that I've seen in, in the media. Um, but it's interesting that you uh, rebelled against the Simpsons portrayal against divorce, about divorce. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it portrays divorced dads in sort of like this negative light that they... They've got no motivation that they have. They go through jobs because they're so depressed at work. They're crying at their desks, all of that nonsense. And I think that did help me being the sort of like stiff upper lip Yorkshireman that I, that I am. I was like, well, I'm not, there's no way I'm being like that fella. I am going to be the exact opposite. And I did. I mean, I do live in a flat as a single dad. Um, but my, my son spends probably the majority of his time here. And I mean, the, the story of getting this flat is bizarre because when, when we separated, I, the first thing I thought about was my son. I, was so, I felt so terrible that, um, and my stepkids, that they, they were having to go through this. The stepkids going through it again, I suppose. And, and my son, who's so sensitive, he's so, such a lovely little boy and he's so sensitive, he took it so badly. I remember thinking, I need to do whatever I can to just make things as normal as possible, as quickly as possible. So I was I was living with my mum and dad for three months, which which wasn't ideal for him, you know. It, 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 
things just felt massively different for him and I didn't want that. So how how old were you when, because you said you were really young when you met and then you were together for nine years. Yeah, so December 2018 was when we separated and we got married in, on this day actually, the day that we're recording this podcast, this day in 2009. I know, you, you mentioned before we did the recording <laughs> that it was your wedding anniversary. How does that make you feel uh, I'm, I'm i'm a little bit more indifferent about it than i was if you'd have asked me the same question last year i might have been a bit upset about it and it's still when i think about it i'm still sad you know i think that probably for the rest of my life i'll be sad that this has happened um and on this day i'll probably think about it all the time but i'm much better i cannot for anybody you know who might be listening to this podcast like i did when i first was in this situation I cannot tell you how good time is. I know that we're impatient as a human race and you don't ever believe you won't feel that way. And I do still get pranks of, of, of deep sadness and like and 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 sometimes even missing my ex quite a lot. Time pays, plays a massive part in you feeling better because a year ago, there's no way I would have spoken about this. That The, the, fir- the first year of, of separation was really hard and I was in that position where I thought, I'm never going to get over this. It's so bad. and you know, I had my chance at love because like you, you were in a similar situation, you have that pr- real deep whirlwind love thing and you think, oh, well, that's, I've had my, that's it for me now. I've had that. So that's probably never going to happen again. Surely you don't fall in love like that again. And I, I still kind of think that a little bit. Well, let me tell you, this is what helps me when I have those moments of like, I'm never going to find love again. <laughs> if you think about it logically and fractions and averages, so the age you are now, you've already had one whirlwind love. Yeah. You only started dating when you were like, what, 18 or whatever. So that's an even shorter amount of time that you've had a whirlwind love. So how many more allotments of this amount of time, which is what, like 12 years? Yeah. Are you going to have again in your life? So law of averages means you're probably going to have more relationships in your life yeah yeah it makes me maths makes me feel better it's just what I'm saying and I'm just giving that to you <laughs> I no, I, I think I think that's a, a good way of looking at it but we were talking about how old you were when you separated and moved in with your parents yeah so I will have been what will I be 32 31 32 something like that so how did it feel moving back in with your parents when you were 31 32 when was the last time you lived with them? I moved out when I was 21 and I'd never lived away from them before. So weirdly, because I was a real mummy's boy when I was younger, like if I went on school trips, I would lie awake at night crying, missing my mummy. So it was weird that when the time came to move in with my ex and it, it wasn't, it was quick. It was like six months or so we moved in together. So at 21, I was looking after five-year-old and a nine-year-old which seems absolutely insane now but I mean I didn't think anything of it like I didn't think oh this is going to be hard you know 21 year old looking after these at the time I just thought this is you know I, I love I love her so this is this is what I need to do and, it, and it, it was easy it genuinely was easy I didn't find it difficult at all um, and it was really quick so yeah 21 and it was really the, the move was 
quick and easy. Obviously, I only had one bedroom at my parents. It wasn't like I was moving a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So then going back to my parents felt weird. It felt like, and again, this is another pop culture reference, but The Office, Tim still lives with his parents. And there's a bit where he's being interviewed and he says, he's talking about how depressed he feels and that he's a 30-something-year-old fella. I think he's just turned 30 and he says, I'm 30 and I still live with my parents. How do you think I feel? And that was in my head. When I moved back to my parents, I was like, oh, God, I cannot believe I'm back with my parents. And my parents were amazing. Like, they, they moved me back in. I didn't have to cook. I didn't have to do any washing or anything. So there was that small mercy, I suppose, about this. I mean, it's really depressing. I was depressed, like massively depressed at the time. I think I might have cried in front of my mate for the first time. Like, my mates had never seen me cry. Again, this manly Yorkshire thing. I think I might have... You know, there's a chance I, I I definitely broke down in front of my boss as well. Just said, this is so, it's so difficult and I don't know what to do. And my workplace were amazing. Like it's a sports environment. It's this macho place. And still mentally, you, I still feel like you can't really talk about these sort of things like men's feelings. But they they encourage it. They're the most supportive place ever. I think it's just my mentality of growing up in sport and things like that. But yeah, being back at my parents was was difficult. And um, I went to work in a uh, just for a week or so in America. And whilst I was there, the flat that I'm currently in, or apartment as the kids call it now, came up whilst I was in America. So I rang the estate agent because it's on the street where my son's best friend lives. And I thought, I don't care what that flat looks like inside. I just want to move on to that street because if I'm on a street where his best friends are, he's immediately distracted from all of this because he can go and knock on the door for his friends. They can go and play on the field behind the houses, football. He's going to feel miles better about all of this. So I rang the, the letting agent and said, I'll take that flat. I don't care what it looks like inside. And they said, oh, legally, you've got to look at it. So I rang my mum and said, mum, just go and look at this flat quickly. And I honestly don't care what it looks like, mum. Tell them we'll take it. So my mum came in, stuck her nose in for me. And and I took the flat. What did so it what, look like? It's fine. It is fine. Okay. I mean, it, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, what did you rent? <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is fine. It's, I mean, it's a generic new build, sort of like everything's plain but you know you can make it your own put a few nice pictures up and shelves and get a nice sofa and you know Bob's your uncle it's fine um and that that is literally what I did so I was in America I signed the the lease or whatever it's called virtually and um when I got back I think jet lagged and all I went straight to like Ikea John Lewis and just bought loads of furniture loads of pictures because when my son came in for the first time, I wanted it to look like we'd lived here forever. So I spent 24 hours without sleeping, um, building IKEA furniture, accepting deliveries, um, framing and putting pictures up on the wall, building this shelf and putting books on it just to make it look like it had been here forever. Um, his bedroom, I built his bed, his drawers, I put pictures up. You know, I've got lots of signed football shirts, framed them all, put them on the wall and just made it look like it had been lived in forever. So that when he came in for the first time, he was settled straight away, go knock for his friends, he could invite friends over to play on the PlayStation, and everything just felt a little bit more normal for him. That's so nice. And what was it like when he came in for the first time? What was his reaction? He was absolutely over the moon. Like, he had TV and a PlayStation in there, and just honestly just made it look like he'd lived there forever. 
and I, I feel like it made a massive difference. He does still occasionally bring up that he's upset that his parents aren't together and he still wants to do days out with us, which we did at first, but we felt like it was kind of getting to a point where it might be time to wind those days out as a, as a family in inverted commas together. Um, so we don't do that anymore. And I, I mean, I wouldn't mind doing it, I suppose. I just don't want him to think that, and we, but we both don't want him to think that it might make a difference that, because every time that happens, he's, you know, I mean, he's a kid, he's wishful thinking all the time. He thinks we might get back together. So it might not be the best idea to, to do those anymore. But he is content living the way he's living now. You know, he gets to go between mum and dad. Um, Christmas, we try to keep exactly the same. So it will be, it'll be here at my place. And his mum will come over in the morning. And it will just just try to keep that. Because Christmas is a big thing, isn't it, when you're a kid? And the idea of having two separate Christmases really upsets me. I think it's I double don't... presents. It is double presents. And, it's and that's selfish. the key. <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. I don't get double presents, though. Let's think about it from my point of view. <laughs> Sorry. Right. No, I'm only joking. But, yeah, I don't like being lonely. And I think on Christmas, handing him over on Christmas Day would be hard and it is hard because I've had to hand him over on Christmas evening and then I I remember the first time I did it and I was sitting on my sofa all by myself on Christmas e- uh, Christmas day evening thinking oh my god oh my damn watching the Antiques Roadshow on Christmas day by myself <laughs> uh, which, which which was a low point but I'm, I, I, I constantly remind myself I've got an amazing son I've got a roof over my head. I've got a great job. And I've got so many things to be thankful for. And again, that's, that sort of positive thinking does push the negative thoughts out of your head for good eventually. You know, the, the negative thoughts, as anybody who's been through like a tough breakup or a divorce or a separation, whatever it is, concert, they know that those negative thoughts absolutely just take over your head. and. I thought they would never, ever go away. But the more you let positive thoughts creep in and the more you just convince yourself that everything is all right, it does eventually push those negative thoughts out of your head. And all of a sudden, the more positive stuff becomes the prominent thought. And the negative stuff is there. It's always there because, you know, a a breakup, especially when there are kids involved, a breakup is always going to be tough. And you're always going to be thinking, oh, you know, he's not got parents that are together anymore. That's really difficult. But the positive thoughts do take over that. It genuinely does happen. And I think it happens to everyone eventually. I was just going to say, it's funny because I had a, because I always ask people on the podcast for a moment they thought they were going to be okay. And I had a moment yesterday where I was sitting in my garden with a cup of tea with my puppy custard running around in the grass and it was sunny. And, you know, I had a couple of jobs lined up and I just thought, Oh, I'm gonna be okay. And then I went inside and custard pooed on the carpet. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. wow, you just shat on my content moment, custard. But the positive moments definitely start to outweigh the negatives. They do. It is weird though that there are there are things that can that can trigger the negative thoughts. It can be the dog shitting on the carpet. I've been in that position before. It can be do you know what a weird one? I tripped over a paving stone and all of a sudden it's like a wave of 
negative. It's like, oh my God, everything is shit. I've just tripped over this paper stone. Everything is awful. What is my life? <laughs> but it's, it's temporary now. It would be that, you know, that first year, I was in a horrendous position. And if I tripped over a paving stone, I'd have to come back, get under the covers, not speak to anyone for ages and go quiet on everyone. And I was really lucky with work, actually, that they were kind of, they're, they're such a, when mental well-being is concerned, there's such a, an understanding and, and you know, in, encouraging environment to work in that I, when I first got divorced, I needed two weeks off. I just couldn't, you know what it's like. It like feels like physical pain. It's hard to do anything really. Um, and they, they gave me that two weeks off and I went back to the office and it's weird how you just think about other people, isn't it? You, you're going back to the office and God, this is going to be awkward for everybody else, isn't it? They're not going to know what to say. It's the same as if someone's relative dies at work and they come back in and you're like, oh my God, what do I say? What's, what's the protocol in this situation? So in my head, I'm thinking they're not going to know what to say to me. It's so weird. Will anyone even mention it? Will they acknowledge it? And I spent my entire life putting a face on things. You know, like you're going to work and it's this, as if nothing ever happened. And if I'd had a blazing row, then I'd, I'd be really affected about it for a day and I'd go into work as if nothing had happened. And this traumatic event in my life has, has made me think about so many other things, has made me address so many things about myself. Like for 30 years, I'd bitten my nails, for instance. And I went to see someone. I went, well, I, you know, at first, when I first did separation, it was so hard. I went to see a therapist and they do their job and they, they, they pinpoint things that it could be. And I mean, seeing a therapist it makes me think, oh my God, what am I doing? Who's this guy seeing a therapist? Has he lost his mind? But I think it's more acceptable in society now, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. And I, I think my friend once said to me, never date anyone over 30 that hasn't been in therapy and I think that's such a good you should put that on your tinder bio (laughs) like that's such a good point because I think therapy is so important no matter if you've been through like a divorce or breakup or whatever it is we all have stuff to deal with and talking it through with an objective stranger is amazing and it is happening more you know it's not it's not one of those things where men are ashamed of it anymore. Literally, you see it on TV every day, on social media all the time. Men, and I, and I, I pinpoint men because men have always been this, especially in Yorkshire, I suppose, this stiff upper lip sort of mentality. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think it's getting better among men. I think that men are much more open to talking about their feelings now and and I did um an hour about speaking to you about it I must admit I was still quite nervous about it but I think that there's a, there are a lot more positives to talking about and just getting it off your chest than there are keeping it in and, and being embarrassed that you, your your colleagues might hear it just be honest I don't think there's anything to be ashamed about in it anymore and it's only since separation. And it's, I mean, this is no slight on my ex at all. She didn't suppress my feelings or anything like that. It's just that when you're feeling that extreme emotion, you do then start thinking about it. And you do start analysing your own emotions a lot more and analysing other people's emotions a lot more as well. You know, we're, I was still on the, I, I think that my generation, so early 30s now, are still, we still had the, there was still a bit of that 1970s stiff upper lip male bravado. There's still that that's crept into us because that 70s stiff upper lip male bravado was our parents. And their parents before that were even more, you know, they'd gone through a war and, and things like that. So the stiff upper lip sort of just is filtering out now in my generation. Again, overthinking it probably. But I, th- I, I, I hope you know what I mean, that, my generation still has a little bit of that. There is still a bit of don't talk about your feelings, keep it to yourself. If you get kicked playing football and you go down, ah, get up, lad, Liel, play on, which people used to shout at me. But that sort of thing is still, there's still an underlying feeling of that amongst people my age. I think not everyone, but a lot of people my age, especially in the t- in the county of Yorkshire, I think. <laughs> Definitely. And I think that's what's so nice about younger people now is they're much more open about all those things because hopefully their parents, which is probably our generation, are slightly more open. So eventually we're just going to be so open and lovely to each other and the world's going to be amazing and there'll be world peace. Um, That'd be nice. Wouldn't it? It's funny because, you know, because you said earlier, you were nervous about doing this podcast initially. And when we first spoke, you said you didn't want to talk about it. And it's been sort of almost a year later. Um, and now you're happy to. And I haven't forced you to, I should say. Bombarded <laughs> you and be like, talk about it. But doing this podcast a few years ago, I think I really would have struggled to get guests. And I, I think it's slightly different because I've been through it too, and I'm sharing my experience. But even now, you know, a lot of people aren't happy, which obviously is fine and is a personal decision, but a lot of people aren't happy to talk about their experiences of divorce and, and 
you know, and, and we always try and, you know, avoid talking about the ex in these podcasts and just talking about the personal experience of the person I'm interviewing, because obviously it's unfair um, on on anyone's ex. And I'm just interested in, you know, what, what you're going through. But I think still, it's it's still very taboo, divorce. And I'm and I'm really interested in this sports environment that you're in. And you said earlier you had a breakdown in front of your boss. So how how was that moment? How did that come about? And did he react? Is your boss a man? Yeah, he's a man. And he's someone that I've worked with at multiple sports media places before. He's a great, he's a great fella. We've had run-ins before. Like I said, I was barely sharp-tongued and he would often pull me up on it. I remember once he said, don't roll your eyes at me, Dom, which was a massive low point for me. Um, but yeah, he's a great he's a great guy. But I think it, it, was like, um, it was like floodgates of emotion open because I'd never really been emotional in front of my parents either. I'd never seen my dad cry. Um, other than when I, I played Danny in Greece when I was in sixth form at school. I remember looking down from stage and seeing my dad crying. That that got me. That was probably the first time I'd ever seen my dad cry. That's so nice. And you were Danny. Hello, lead role. Yeah, that's right. Although I did, uh, I, I was talking to my son about it because my son's really into music and stuff. And I said, "Well, your dad, your dad was in a school play once, and uh, my my granddad had filmed it, and I showed I showed it to Teddy, and it was absolutely woeful. I was terrible. I was so bad." Anyway, uh, yeah, I was terrible. But your dad but, was proud. Yeah, my dad was really proud. My dad I played was really Captain proud. Hook in Peter Pan because I was at an all-girls school. Great role, though. What a role. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had a wig and a moustache. It was great. Yeah, I'd love to play Hook. I mean, that was the end of my acting stroke singing career, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it was like the, the floodgates opened. So like I said, I'd never seen my dad upset. never really shared emotions with my dad too much. Um, again, just the way my dad my dad was brought up, I think, like his parents were, his his dad had fought in the war, Love, lovely like man, but still this, I don't know, it's just like, it seems to be like men that grew up in the, that were adults in the 60s, it's just a stiff upper lip, it was just like you, you work hard and carry on and emotions aren't really a thing, I don't know, it's, I don't know how to explain it really, but it, my, da- my, my dad is the loveliest person you could ever meet, he was um, a florist, the most personable person, um, like just happy to be just getting along my dad. And um, yeah, I remember when I first, when I'd first left, I went to my dad and said, you know, we've split. And I, I, I like fell into his arms like I was a, an 11 year old boy. I just like hugged him and, um, I just remember the, like, it feeling really comfortable. Like I'd not hugged my dad, honestly, since I'd have been like 11 years old or something. And um, yeah, that was nice. So that happened. Then I called my best friend to tell him, and my best friend just cannot, he did not know how to handle like someone crying or being upset. And he didn't know what to say. And he's lucky I know that because otherwise I would have thought he was a massive twat, but he was fine. <laughs> Like when I when I rang him and I just cried straight. I went, I was like, man, it's so difficult to handle. I don't, and he was like, oh my god, what? like he was trying his best. Like I could tell he was fumbling around, like going, oh, what to say, what to ask you. Well, I guess that had never been your relationship 
before. Not at all. So we used to do um, a podcast together and we did wear our emotions on our sleeve, but it was never sort of like private life emotions. It was always like, oh my God, they've scored, Ah," you know, screaming at each other, hugging. Um, And I've always been an emotion on my sleeves kind of guy, but never really crying. Like never really being upset about my personal goings on uh, in front of other people. Um, So that happened. And then I rang my boss and I think I was, it was just surprisingly understanding about it. Like I didn't think it had as much, I mean, this sounds like a slight on him and it's not at all, but I didn't think he'd have as much compassion as he did. Like he totally understood it. He said, take as much time off as you need. It's fine. We can get on without you, which a little bit insulting. Um, And yeah, it was, it was weird. It was just weird that I'd done that. And I was really embarrassed about it. Actually. I was really, um, sort of like I wanted to I wanted to be relieved I was like well it doesn't matter everyone cries you know but I was I was still really embarrassed about it and it doesn't get you know it doesn't get it's not like I walk into the office and everyone's going oh Dom bloody cried in front of the boss oh my so embarrassing oh my god that never happens and um, and it never would it never would it is my own bravado that is making me think things like that and, and and shame around but everyone was great about it you know colleagues that i did eventually speak to about it um were great because without getting into too much detail i was working in ireland and just had a massive like i was i, I was just about to get on an airplane to fly back and was really upset and it was at a time where it was still at the forefront of my emotions and i had been thinking about it an awful lot Every couple you see, you're like, can stare those kissing in public. What are they doing? That sort of thing get really bitter. And I remember just being really upset at the airport. And my colleague that I was with saw that I was upset and was like, mate, don't worry about it. It's fine. You know, we know that you've been through a lot. And that made a massive difference, you know, that and he'll never, he'll never know that I think about that quite regularly. You know, he probably probably was nothing to him. And um yeah, that made a that made a massive difference, and I think one thing that helped me get through all of that is just realizing that we're all the same. Like the reason that there are pills available for anxiety and stress and depression and stuff like that is because we are just it is just chemical reactions. Like love is just a chemical reaction. You know, there are things that can suppress the chemicals and make you feel not. I mean, how weird is that? That there are chemicals that you put in your body and it just levels everything out. Talking of love. Yeah. Have you but, have you been dating? Would you get married again? That's a that's a difficult question. Uh, I've thought about it. So all all of my mates are like, you need to do it again. You need to do it again. And for the first year and a half, I just focused on on me, sorting myself out for a start and my son. Um. But yeah, obviously, I've 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 my, my mates set up dating profiles and were sending me messages saying, oh, look, you've had a match. What do you think of this? And yeah, I just, getting so different now, isn't it? To like when, I mean, not that I would ever have approached anyone in a bar. I mean, anxiety will stop you doing that. But um, yeah, it's just so different to what it was when I was, I nearly said younger than like I'm a 60 year old man. But when I was dating before, like I was in my early 20s, 
I think the I don't think dating apps existed. Maybe Match.com was a no, thing. No, they didn't when I was. Yeah, when I met my ex. But I've just um, I, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of the whole cattle market sort of like. I, I, don't get me wrong, being attracted to someone is hugely important. Like attraction is a ma- It's bullshit when people say that love at first sight is a thing. I think because you you fancy someone at first sight because you don't you don't see someone and think oh my god all of their little nuances and their annoying traits. I'm so in love with that person I've just seen a second ago. That just doesn't happen. So I'm totally on board with like attraction. But people become so much more attractive when they've got something about them. And it's really hard, I think, to work that out on dating apps. But I've, I've thought about it. I've thought about it. I'm not. So you haven't been on a date yet? No. Well, you've got to think, like, the first year and a half, I was just concentrating on me and my son, getting this flat sorted out, concentrating on work. And then we went into lockdown. <laughs> so it's not being Well, it's easy. no criticism. I'm just asking. Maybe you'll get some offers from the podcast recording. <laughs> Maybe. That'd be, yeah, that'd be very flattering. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've thought about it. There are, there are the complications of having a son and, and, and all, all of that. I'm, I'm totally, I certainly don't want to die alone. Um, and, and that's something that I've thought about. That's I think, an extreme end point that we've gone to there. Oh, no, no, just going you, on a date. Don't lose, use that as the end line. <laughs> I don't want to die <laughs> no, alone. I, just, well, I was like, have you been on a date? I don't want to die alone. Don't put that pressure on your dates. I think that love is a thing. I still think that a life is a life best shared. Like There are things in life that, you know, I did, I did the three peaks last September, which are like these three really tall mountains in Yorkshire. It's like a rite of passage. You're not a proper Yorkshire until you've traipsed over those hills. And um, I remember thinking, oh, it'd be nice to be able to, I mean, admittedly, I was thinking probably about my ex-wife here, but I was thinking it'd be nice to be able to text someone about this achievement, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to text or to tell someone about how incredible the views of Yorkshire are from the top of Penny Ghent, which is one of the hills. Um, I just think life is best shared. I think that there's so much about relationships other than the really great stuff like sex, but the the stuff like sitting together, watching something, you know, talking to each other about film, going out on a you know with each other for meals, and and just really relating to someone and feeling that chemistry with someone is a, is an amazing feeling. It's just, I mean, the negative point is that if that breaks down, it feels shit. It feels awful. But I, I'm, I'm still a massive advocate for, I mean, I look at my grandparents celebrating their 60th anniversary and my parents who've been married for 30 odd years. And, you know, I mean, on that point, that's, that could be why divorce was a little bit of a, was more difficult for me and a bit more shame because no one in my family had been through it. Um. You know, it's not a thing that's close to me. I mean, I, I went to school with loads of mates whose parents were divorced and things like that. Um, I mean, the weird thing is that, obviously, because I got married and then divorced so young, is that I'm the first person <laughs> in my year group at school to get divorced, which is not an ideal position to be in, but, you know. I think I am, too. I'm, I'm definitely the first person among all my friends to get divorced. Yeah, it's... It's weird. It is weird. It is weird, but it is what it is, isn't it? I mean, I do. I say that to myself an awful lot. It is what it is. What are you going to do? There's nothing you can do that is going to change what's happened. Um, 
I mean, I wasn't, I'm absolutely not blameless in a divorce. You know, I was a dick at times. And um, I, again, I mean, this relates back to like the anxiety and, and the, and the repercussions of not dealing with it and not seeing anyone about it is that I would sit on things for a long time, then lose my rag. So I'd put up with things for ages. And then instead of there being a middle ground where you'd pull, I mean, it was, a lot, a lot of it, admittedly, a lot of the, you know, sticking points for us were how the kids were dealt with, like, behavioural-wise, if they deserved the telling off and didn't get one, maybe, or something like that. But there was never a middle ground with me. It was always shit or bust, basically. Like, I'd never just go in and deal with a situation calmly. I would maybe expect, especially when it was the stepkids, I would expect my ex to deal with it and then... I'd get really frustrated then if it didn't happen and then lose my rag. So absolutely not blameless at all in the divorce. Um, I have a, a question to wrap up. If anyone is listening, I think particularly men, because we don't have many men on the podcast, and I am trying to everyone saying, please, can you have more men? Um, but as we've discussed, it can sometimes be harder for men to open up. If anyone's listening and they're going through what you went through um, and maybe they, you know, have friends who they don't think will be able to deal with it if they open up to them, what what would you say to them? What advice might you give them? Speak to people is the biggest thing, because even when I was finding things the most difficult and, and felt like I would never get out of it, and was really upset, like just constantly convincing myself that this was the worst thing that could possibly happen. Constant negative thoughts. Speaking to people made a massive difference, even if it was only temporary at first. Just getting some of those feelings off your chest makes a huge difference. And I know that it is, it can, there are, there are still that, there's still that male bravado thing that stops you speaking to people, but people will listen to you. People, even the friend that you think won't, will listen to you if you just just give it a try. And if not, you know, the, there are loads of people you can speak to, like Samaritans maybe, or um, Mind, a really good one. Um, your, your parents, if you're lucky enough. I know that people don't, like I said, I don't really have that relationship with my dad. And then, and then just getting that hug from him made me feel a million times better speaking to people and opening up about it is therapy it really is i know that it sounds stupid and it sounds impossible and it sounds like well how can speaking to my mate make a massive difference i was in that boat i felt that way as well i thought well, how speaking to someone going to make a difference but even if you just get that little hit where you feel a little bit better for a few hours or a day it's worth doing because eventually like i said earlier that day becomes a week and that week becomes months, and then eventually the negative thoughts become the um, the the lot the least thing you're thinking of. And there are occasional days where I still think, "Oh shit!" You know, there are days where I miss her. Sometimes, you know, there are, there are, obviously things didn't end all that well for us, but I still loved her very much, and we we're in this amazing relationship, and we loved each other, and we shared loads in common. So there are, you know, there are still times I miss her. We you know, sometimes I'll hear a song or I'll see something on TV or I'll I'll be I'll drive past the place that we've been to. So that that's probably always gonna happen. It doesn't matter if I meet somebody new and fall in love again. 
I'll drive past the service station that we might have stopped at on a holiday and think, oh, yeah, that was nice. It's always going to happen, isn't it? That's just a, that's a thing about having a long-term relationship that's really good at one point. But talk to people would be my biggest piece of advice. It does make you feel better. This podcast that I'm now on, I, I heard Rich Wilson. And R- Rich, on the face, it looks like the male bravado sort of like man about town sort of fella. But then listening to the way he was speaking made a massive difference to me as well. Tapping into what other people are thinking. Sorry, this is a really long answer, isn't it? But it's, you know, um, the Fern Fern Cotton's podcast was a really good one for me, just listening to um, how other people are dealing with tough situations in their life, not necessarily divorce, um, but other, you know, grief, losing jobs, um illness that sort of thing um the this the divorce club massive in hearing other people going through the same thing as you makes a massive difference um but i connected with rich after this as we we exchanged a few dms on twitter and it did make a huge difference you know one you might listen to one podcast and then there's a, a brainwave you're like oh my god yeah someone else went through something similar to me like Rich spoke about losing his his rag a little bit, and that's something that I've never ever told anyone, and yet felt like I could because I'd heard somebody else talk about it. Knowing you're not the only person is massive. I think that might, maybe that's a man thing. Maybe that's the shame that I. I mean, I certainly felt a lot of shame at first, but then tapping into this, there was the um, there's a book called The Art of Not Giving a Shit or something like that. That's a really good one. Uh, because it just makes you evaluate things differently. You think one way, especially when you get into your 30s, you think one way and you think that is it. That is, This is the way I think. But then little things can change you. And th- that can come from listening to a podcast like this or reading a book. It can be anything, but it can completely change the way you think. And it's impossible to believe if it's not happened to you, but it does happen i used to think people were talking shit on podcasts and stuff when they were saying oh you do get over it time is a great healer um but it's true it is true what can i say i've I've, I've been through it and it's happened and i don't think it's a man thing i think the whole reason i set up this podcast was so that i could talk to other people and be like are you going through this too like how have you dealt with it so and thank you i'm so glad that you enjoyed the rich episode and you could connect um thank you so much this has been brilliant if um if people do want to date you (laughs) two important things where are you based in the world and how tall are you yeah that's weird isn't it tallness i'm 511 so i'm below six foot sorry um and i am based in leeds in yorkshire there we go well don't come through me for day. I'm not some sort of yente <laughs> figure, but you know, you. Where can people find you on social media to follow your career and maybe approach you for dates? Um, I'm at New Call on uh, Twitter, which is at N E W C O L. That is a hangover from me taking the double barrel surname. Um, and see, this is why it's complicated. I've got a blue tick on Twitter, and I'll lose it if I change my Twitter handle. I don't want to do that. I need the blue tick in my life. And uh, on Instagram, I'm at Sporting Dom. There's not a lot on there. It's just work stuff, but you can have a look if you want. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks, Sam. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.